Hi, I'm Walter Hallam, and you're listening today to the Walter Hallam Ministries podcast. Get ready to receive a powerful word from God today. Because one word from God can feed an entire multitude, and it will feed them severally or feed them according to their individual need. One word from God can do that. So how many of you believe we'll get a word from God tonight? If I had a title for this, I would just call it Turn Around. Just turn around. Everybody shout, turn around. We serve the God of the turnaround. Uh, here, uh, Paul was, and he's in a, a boat. He's, he's shipwrecked. He's a prisoner. It looks like it's going to be bad. He barely survives the water. He hangs onto a piece of wreckage. He floats up onto an island. He's freezing cold. Then he gets bit by a serpent. Looks like he's going to die. He shakes it off in the fire, and all of a sudden, things begin to turn around. Just suddenly, it starts turning around. It looks like it's going to be defeat all the way to the top. But instead, every one of those challenges were something that God used, even though the enemy meant it for evil, God was using it as a stepping stone to just go a little higher, a little higher, to grow his faith, to release anointings that were in him that was giving him victory after victory. And then all of a sudden it turned around and the whole island got saved. Then he gets in what today we would call a cruise ship and he comes floating into Rome on a cruise ship. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, say turn around. Paul and Silas were in prison. It's the midnight hour. They're in stocks. And bonds, their hands and their feet are there. They're in the lower prison. And they're in extremely difficult uh, circumstances. And then as they begin to worship God in the middle of that bad, extremely bad time, suddenly the God of turnaround showed up. And the Bible says that God shook the prison and it literally crumbled around them. Their chains opened up. They begin to preach and minister. The jailer, the main jailer gets saved. They go and start a church that's still there today. Almost 2,000 years later. I think somebody ought to just shout, turn around. Come on. God knows how to turn things around just suddenly. It looks like Israel is totally going to be destroyed. Finally, by the wicked Philistines. And the scripture says a little boy shows up. A little 14-year-old, so 14, maybe 15-year-old boy, red-headed, blue-eyed, that's my story, shows up. You just go ahead and plug your image in there. And he cannot stand the fact that that giant is cursing all of Israel and mocking God, and it's getting worse and worse. And then the worst thing is, whoever fights him, it's like winner takes all. If the, if the giant wins, Israel becomes their servant. If the giant loses, the Philistines would become the servants of Israel. Obviously, Israel did not want the Philistines to be their servants. That's for sure. And so they made that deal. But I'd like to tell you that the Philistines didn't keep that deal. Because when the giant got killed, they turned around and took off running. And the battle took place and they they were fighting all the way as they were leaving. Can I just say to you, don't make a deal with the devil. Because I don't care how much you think you're going to keep your part, hell will never keep its part. But be that as it may, 
It looks like it's going to be worse than ever before. And then the only one who would actually rise up and fight him was a teenage boy. And he had no experience that we know of as a military man. Yet he goes out there and God shows him a rock. And he picks up that stone, that little rock, and he slung it. And everything is going bad to worse to bad to worse. And it turned around. And then instantly it turned around. Come on, we serve the God of the turnaround. Israel had been 400 years in captivity and it was getting worse all of the time. And after 400 years, God takes a man who is literally a convict on the run. That would be Moses. He's on the backside of a mountain and God speaks to him out of a burning bush and says, it's time to turn that situation around and sends him back into Egypt, the scripture says. And in one night, it all turned around. And from that day till today, from that day till today, Israel is one of the most, probably the most influential group of people on the planet still today. I'd have to say God turned it around. I said, God turned it around. You can have a situation like the woman with the issue of blood and it can be very, very bad. It can be extremely bad and nothing better but rather grew worse. And then Jesus came, comes on the scene and she gets in the way of Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment, turn around. It turned around. Jesus had been crucified. He'd been dead for 50 days. He had arisen and ascended. It's 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. They're locked up 120 of them out of his 500 followers. Only 120 are willing to continue obeying him. It's decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. The followers of Jesus look like they're falling away. And all of a sudden, when the day was fully come, there came a sound like a rushing mighty wind. It came in, it filled the whole house where they were. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Turn around. That day, 3,000 got saved. Come on, somebody shout, turn around. The next day, 5,000 got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And it took off again, and it hasn't stopped since that time. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord tonight. We serve the God of turnaround. That's a great place right there to magnify the Lord. We're talking about turnaround tonight. Your situation can be very dire. It can be very real. And it can be extremely difficult. You might have done everything you know to do and, it ha and still trusting God. Uh, can I just remind you, uh, Daniel, you can be in the middle of a lion's den. And in one night, God turns it around. And the next morning, the whole nation begin to follow Jehovah God because God turned it around when a man would not back off uh, serving God and trusting God. Three Hebrew children in the middle of the fire. Come on, somebody shout, turn around. It looks like it's getting worse, hotter and hotter, seven times worse. And all of a sudden, God turned it all around. Oh, hallelujah. You can get your report from your physician. Who, who sees what they see. The report's real. You can't be mad at your doctor. Doctors are, are a gift from God. But I've just got good news for you today. God knows how to turn that around because with his stripes, we were healed. Healing comes from God. It'll turn around. You can be financially in the most difficult situation you can uh, uh, imagine. And in just one moment, one phone call, one email, one idea, one thought, one connection, uh, one thing suddenly begins this turnaround process and everything changes from that time on. Hallelujah. I believe in Jesus' name there is an anointing in this house today 
for a turnaround. Those of you that are watching online right now, there is an anointing that's on you to turn things around in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. It takes someone believing and then acting on their faith. Just obey the Lord, David. Pick up the little stone and do your part. Don't turn and cower and go away from it because in the most difficult situation, God can turn it around. The Bible is full of the turnaround experience. It changes everything when that begins to take place. In 2 Kings this afternoon, chapter 9, in this short teaching, there is a powerful thing that takes place with a prophet. His name is Elisha. He had a, he had a, a teacher and a spiritual father who had trained him. His name was Elijah. And back in those days, uh, there was uh, this wicked king. Her name was uh, Jezebel, queen. Her name was Jezebel and her crazy husband, Ahab. And they had this really uh, spastic kid, no two ways about it, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice about this right now and not mean. And uh, he, he was, a, to say the least, a very unique guy named Joram. And uh, Joram uh, had become the king of Israel. So they have, uh, they have Israel in captivity. It looks like it's getting worse all the time. And then uprises another guy named Ahaziah. And uh, Ahaziah becomes the king of Judah. Uh, they were not serving and following God. But something had happened. There had been a guy named Naboth. Everyone say Naboth. That's in 1 Kings chapter 21. Naboth uh, owned a little vineyard up against the, the, the palace wall over in Naboth's section of what's called Jezreel. And he had a beautiful little garden in there. And one day, Ahab decided, King Ahab decides, I want that. And when he decided he wanted it, he, he says to Naboth, I'll buy it from you. Let me buy it from you. And Naboth said, oh, no, that's my family's inheritance, my father's inheritance. I couldn't sell that. He had had it for 600 years. When the children of Israel had come into Cana, into the promised land, and they had been given their portion by lot or by, by territory, his family, hundreds of years before, that was their inheritance. And so they were passing it on down to their family. He said, how can I do that and sell my father's inheritance? Can I just say this, segue a moment? Some things are not for sale. If it came from God to you, for you, it's not for sale. We're not selling the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. We're not, we're not selling salvation. We're not mortgaging up the healing anointing uh, at the altar of just complacency or compromise. We're just not going to do it. And so exactly the opposite. Uh, we'll, we'll be what the scripture says will be even more vile than that before if people think that is wrong. Because uh, you and I cannot afford to be silent and cause the anointing that belongs to this generation to become quiet. We've been given a call. We've been as Christians, as a New Testament church, as individuals on our job. We're, uh, we are told to live the faith that we have and talk about it when you can. Speak about it. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. And so uh, Naboth would not sell that. And because he would not do that, uh, Ahab was all upset and started whining to his wife. I don't like whiny men. Starts whining to his wife. I don't like whiny men. I don't like whiny men. I don't like sissy men. I'm preaching so good right now. 
I don't like bossy women either. Okay, I'm sorry. So you got, Je- <laughs> so you got Jezebel there. And so Jezebel, uh, she, of course, was into witchcraft and, and she was like a high priestess also in the worship of a very perverted uh, sexual god, that a demonic god called Baal, and uh, that manipulated and controlled through sexuality, which is a very interesting thing when you read the doctrines of Baal. And so there was a big temple that was built uh, for Baal, and there would be, you know, I don't want to go into detail, but when you study history, you see they would have these big orgies, and then, of course, they would make all kind of sacrifices in the temple. Uh, they were having these orgies, and they were saying that she's the God of fertility, and she's the God that causes it to rain. And, of course, Elijah uh, came and debunked all of that. Come on, shout hallelujah to that. Or Elisha did. So you know that story. It's a powerful story. And there are other uh, examples of it in the Scripture right there. But she was extremely wicked, and she was, according to the Scriptures, a manipulator. And she would manipulate to get her will, and then that wickedness would come out. And uh, so uh, now we fast forward a little bit. They killed Naboth and just took his inheritance. And they killed his family and just stole that from them. But God remembered it. Romans 12, 19 says that you and I are not supposed to be the ones who get our own vengeance but we are to understand that vengeance belongs to the Lord and he will repay, the Bible says. Hallelujah. And so God said more than one time in First and Second Kings, I remember Naboth, that he would not compromise, he wouldn't back off. When his family was attacked, they were killed, their blood was shed there in that beautiful vineyard that had been an inheritance from God that had been passed on to them. And God said, I will not forget it one day. They're going to pay the price for that. And can I just say that we're not trying to get anybody hurt or anything of that nature, but just let God take care of vengeance. You just go on and serve the Lord and do your part. Vengeance belongs to God. That's what the scripture says. Give me two big amens. Now look what happens. So now it's been a few years later. Israel is in this uh, captive state. Jezreel has been taken. Uh, Ultimately, it's Jerusalem. Uh, is taken, it's overrun, and there Jezebel and Ahab have their place there. Also, they, they have a place. And then these other two kings are there involved with it. One of them is named Joram, and the other is named Ahaziah, A-H-A-Z-I-A-H, Ahaziah. So are y'all up with me now? Are we, are we good? Amen. Now look at verse 1, 2 Kings 9. And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets. We don't even know his name. Elisha said, I have some prophets that I have trained up. And one of the sons of the prophets, he said, I, that's who I need to carry this message to. Sometimes God will raise up almost an anonymous name that will bring the word. If nobody else will speak up, God will raise up someone. Because the will of the Lord will ultimately get done. Hallelujah. And the scripture says, they raise up this, uh, one of the children of the prophets. And so Elisha says to him, gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Follow with me now. And when thou comest there, look, find, look out, find there Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat. Y'all remember Jehoshaphat? The son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. 
and go in and make him rise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. Somebody shout inner chamber. I'm reading out of King James. Some of your Bibles will say to a secret room. Take him into a secret place. So get this, this scenario very quickly. Elisha, the prophet, says to one of the sons of the prophets, who we don't even know his name, let one of your boys go over there and take this oil. Now you got to understand the oil there, and I'm not going to break it all down for you, but take my word, I promise you this is true, do your own study. There's five quarts of oil. It would be equivalent to five quarts, what was in that anointing uh, oil uh, flask that these guys would carry. He's got five quarts of oil. He says, I want you to take it and I want you to go over to Ramoth Gilead and go into that place and you're going to find a guy named Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat. And he's going to be sitting around with some other guys, just sitting around, probably talking about how it used to be. And who knows what they're going to be talking about, but they're going to be kind of by themselves and they're just going to be overdoing their own thing. And they're probably wishing they had a leader that would rise up. But, you know, God never forgets. And the scripture says he moved on that old prophet Elisha. And he said, uh, tell this young man, go over there. And when you see Jehu, the son of uh, Jehoshaphat, separate him from the people he is with and bring him into a secret place. Can I just segue for a moment and say, when you get in a secret place with the will of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit begins to get on you, something is going to change in Jesus' name. When you get by yourself and you pray, when you get with someone else full of faith, when you get in that secret place with God, that's one of the most necessary things I can say as a minister. Seek God yourself. Have a time not only where we corporately come together, but where you take time yourself because you are anointed. But you've got to get that anointing flowing in your life. And the scripture says right here, he tells him what to do. And he said, take him into an inner chamber, and then take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then you open the door and flee and tarry not. He said, because when the anointing begins to hit and that guy receives it, things are, activity is about to pick up. You just might as well get out of there because something is about to get stirred up. I don't know about you, but I kind of like it when things get stirred up a little bit. I like that fire of God and that stirring that takes place. I have no problem with the fact that someone will say, well, I don't necessarily believe all of that. I'm just like, well, praise the Lord. We'll just let God be the judge of that before it's over with. Thank God. Uh, sometimes you just need to pour the oil and get out of the way and let God begin to work. Hallelujah. And the scripture says right here, man, I could preach that, but I, if, I, if I do, I won't get past the first four verses. So the young man, this young prophet's son, even the young man, the prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came there, behold, the captains of the host, this, this is Israel's host, were sitting. They were sitting around. They were just sitting there. Maybe they were sitting there daydreaming. He said, I have an errand. I've been sent on a mission to you, O captain. And Jehu said, unto which? To all of us? And he said, no, to you, O captain. 
So he arose. So Jehu arose and he went into the house. He goes into the secret place. And when he did, the Bible says that the, the little prophet's son poured the oil on his head and said unto him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Ooh, I like it. I like it when that comes out. Thus saith the Lord. I call it TSTL. Thus saith the Lord. I refuse to pastor any church that I can't say, thus saith the Lord. I refuse to. I have no interest, zero nada. Uh, with any time, I could retire with hundreds of thousands of dollars a year the rest of my life. It's set up that way. I'm not bragging. I'm just talking to you. Uh, it, it, it just would make me a, a no difference whatsoever if I could not obey the Holy Spirit and say, this is what the Word of God says. I would just go to the house. But oh, thank God we have a living God. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who, who has paid the price for us and who has poured out the Holy Spirit now, today, in the day that we live in. And you and I have an anointing from God. And there are times in your life when you will know God is saying, thus saith the Lord. Come on, shout it out loud. Thus saith the Lord. Woo, I like that. Thank God for the power of prophecy. And the scripture says, thus saith the Lord. Are y'all mad at me because I told you what I shouldn't have told you a minute ago? Where, where did I feel that in my spirit from someone? Look at somebody and just look them right in the face and say, isn't God good? And then just look at somebody else and say, get over it. Come on, just tell them that. Lord have mercy. You'd be surprised what some people will do. God help us. I said, God help us. Mm-mm-mm. And, and so Jehu said, which one? He said, all of you. All of us? He said, no, this one's for you right here. Oh, captain, God has anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. Watch this verse seven. And you will smite the house of Ahab, the one that's ruling you. Uh-oh. Is that in your Bible? You talking about God, sweet, precious Jesus, God? Like I'm going to smite your enemy? Woo. Thus saith the Lord. And the scripture says, um, Thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets and the blood of all of the servants of the Lord that have been shed at the hand of Jezebel. That's what that says. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I will cut off from Ahab him that does something against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. How many of you glad God just, just says it like it is? Y'all okay? All the men know exactly what that means. All the women are like, what does that mean? Believe me, if you have sons, you know what that means. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebath, and like the house of uh, uh, Beasha, the son of uh, uh, Ahijah, and the dogs shall eat Jezebel. Oh my goodness. Is that in your Bible? And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel or in Naboth's portion in Jezreel. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel and there shall be none to bury her in other words, you'll notice some of the italics there. It says, and there won't be enough left to bury her. It says the dogs will eat her. 
and there won't be enough left uh, after the dogs get a hold of her to even eat her. And he opened the door and he fled. That might be why he left, because you start making those kind of prophecies and you can be sure that Jezebel's coming after you. He prophesies that over Jehu. Jehu, I'm sure, is shaken. He knows that this is a man sent from Elisha. He knows this is for real. He knows about his father, Jehoshaphat. He knows how they blew the trumpets and broke the lanterns and how God caused a few to sound like a great army and the great victories that took place. And Jehu now has to make a decision because he'd been sitting around with everybody else, just sitting around doing nothing while Israel gets worse and worse and worse. Now, all of a sudden, in one moment, things begin to turn around and they begin with a word from God. The turnaround starts with a word from God. Come on, somebody shout turnaround tonight. Come on, get it in your spirit. And so the scripture says God was not only going to turn around Naboth's situation and vengeance for him, but he's going to turn the whole nation around. Woo, I don't want to get off on that because somebody else say, you're just politicking. I'm not politicking. I'm just telling the truth. God is turning things around. The prophetic word has been spoken for years and it has taken place in front of us. And you can be blind if you want to, or you can open your eyes and say, God's turning our nation around. Even in the midst of all of the chaos in some particular sectors of our nation, things are turning around. Woo, I'm getting excited thinking about it. Oh, glory to God. He opened the door and he fled, the Bible says. Wow. Look down if you would. Let me just keep reading. I think I'll do it. I, I probably won't get all of this tonight. I'll try to pick it up in the next message. Verse 11. So Jehu came forth to the servants of, 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 the Lord, of his Lord. And one said unto him, is everything okay? Remember, he'd been sitting around with these other guys. This prophet busts in the door with a, uh, you know, with a, you know, five quarts of oil, walks in there and says, uh, I, I have a direct word for you, O Captain Jehu. And Jehu's like, for all of us? He's like, no, 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 you. And the scripture says, uh, he told him, no, separate. Come right over here. You're getting this secret room over here. Come over on the side. And he poured that oil on top of him and he gave him the word from Elisha. And then he turned and got out of there. And Jehu, I'm sure, was like, oh, my goodness. How many of you know God can turn it around in one day? One word from God can change your life forever. Just one word from God. One word can change everything. Glory to God. You never know. He wasn't expecting that to happen that day. And the scripture says, when he comes, he goes back to those other guys he was just hanging around with. And one of them said unto him, is everything okay? Is all well? Wherefore came this mad, this crazy man to you? Uh-oh. What about this crazy preacher that came with a TSTL? What about this crazy preacher that came and prophesied to you? Wow. And they said unto them, and he said unto them, you know this man and his communications. You know, like, not if I read that to you, something other than King James, he said, no, I didn't. it wasn't anything. It was just another one of these. He's lying. And he's afraid to tell them. But here's the problem. He's got five quarts of oil dumped on him. 
He's been in the presence of God. He's been in the secret place. There's an anointing on him. He's been sitting around with everybody else uh, doing nothing while the nation goes to hell in a handbasket. And, and Jezebel is ruling in what should be God's place. And Baal has tried to raise back up after Elijah had it under uh, submission and under control. And now all of a sudden, no one wants to do anything about it, but just kind of rock along, survive and exist. Learn to coexist with all of the demonic stuff. And they're just sitting around doing nothing. Look, you might be okay with living less than what God has. You might have even persuaded yourself you can survive that way, but God will never be okay with you living below your rights and privileges as a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because He shed His blood to elevate your life, not to cause you to just kind of assimilate into society. No, we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not be, No, no, no. We're not better than someone else. We're just better off hallelujah. when Jesus comes in. Or, come on, somebody shout hallelujah in here. Listen, if you know you're on the way to heaven and you know that when the enemy comes against you, you have an anointing that will rise up in you and cause you to be, be victorious in everything. Listen, you're better off. It's not a matter of being better than someone else. Would you let all of that stuff go? I'm not talking about just pride. No, I'm talking about position. God has positioned you in his family. He has put his spirit on the inside of you. He has poured an anointing on you. And when you get in that secret place with God, something begins to stir on the inside of you. And I don't care how big Jezebel and Ahab's position may seem, God is about to turn that thing around. Come on, guys. He's going to turn that family around. He'll turn your health around. He'll turn those circumstances around. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the scripture says, y'all liking this tonight? You sure you're okay with this? Can you stand a little preaching? And he said, well, you know this man, his communication. Really, he didn't say anything. It wasn't all of that. And they said unto him, that's a lie. They looked at him. They said, you're different. You sound different. You look different. Something about you different. You've got separated into the presence of God. You're anointing. What you're saying is false. Tell us now what really happened. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You mean when I get around the anointing of God and it begins to go in my life, that other people are going to be able to recognize it? Other people are going to say, Instead of sitting around doing nothing, if that anointing's on you, Ram, then somebody's going to get around you and say, I want to be like that. I want that anointing on my life also. Absolutely. The scripture says they said to him, no, that's false. That's a lie. Tell us now. And so he said, this and thus spake he to me, saying, thus saith the Lord. Here's the TSTL again. I have anointed you king over Israel. Well, that right there would just get you killed. Because Ahab was the king and and Jezebel was the queen. And if uh, someone received that anointing and started saying, God's anointed me to be the king, well, the first thing that other king wants to do is kill you and get you out of the way. And he begins to tell them, God has anointed me to be king. I'm sure they're thinking, we know you, Jehu. 
You had a pretty cool daddy Jehoshaphat, but you just one of us. There's nothing unique or different about you. Yeah, but there is about the gift and calling of God that's on you. And so the scripture says, uh, they wanted to know. You're different. Something has changed. Tell me what it is. He said, the, the man anointed me. Verse 13, look how they responded. They hasted and took every man his garment. Uh-oh. And they took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs. And they started blowing trumpets saying, Jehu is king. Listen, instead of those guys saying, you're crazy. We don't want anything to do with your God or your anointing and all of that. Little did they know God must have been dealing with all of those men's heart at some level or another, but not a one of them would speak up in that position. And so God sent that anointing in there, poured it on them. And when it did, instead of all of those guys saying, you're crazy, we're out of here. You're going to get us all killed. The Bible says they took off their garments, put them there, built a throne for him to sit on, Set Jehu there, took a bunch of uh, uh, trumpets and horns. Da, 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 da. We have a new king. It's Jehu. Da, 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 da. God has anointed him. The turnaround has begun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'd think these guys would all just pack up and take off. Instead, they did the exact opposite. They rose up and they wanted to serve God. It just takes one person. It takes one person on the job. It takes one person refusing to compromise. Look, you might as well get the benefit of being the man and the woman of God that you're called to be because you are anointed. You're the change agent. You're the turnaround factor in your world. Woo, glory to God. How many of you are glad things can change just like that? Come on, throw a hand out there and just turn it around. Jump up on your feet for 10 seconds. Come on, jump on your feet and just turn around. Come on, somebody turn around. God knows how to turn those things around. Oh, hallelujah. Be seated just for a second. Come on, just for a second. God will turn it around. Ooh, I got preach on me tonight. Turn it around. Come on, touch somebody and just say it's time for the turnaround. Come on, tell them that. The Bible says, now he's got, instead of just him, now there's a group of these men. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nemesh, conspired against Joram. Woo! Joram had put himself in the position, his ugly mama, uh, he's the son of Jezebel. He's the son of Jezebel and Ahab. His name is Joram. So she decided she'd put him in that position as the king. And he's the ruler of Israel. And the other one she put in as the ruler of, uh, of Judah. Judah was a tribe that is separated from the other uh, tribes. And so uh, she gets control of both of them that way with these two Baalites. And the scripture says, Verse 15, the king uh, Joram uh, was returning to be healed in Jezreel from the wounds which the Syrians had given him when he had fought with Hazael, the king of Syria. So Jehu, remember Jehu's the, the anointed prophet now. Jehu said, if it be your minds then, let none go forth nor escape out of the city to go tell it in Jezreel. He said, look, here's the thing, guys. We're going to have to do this with wisdom. So we don't want anybody to escape who finds out that there's a whole new conspiracy that's begun. The overthrow has begun. 
The turnaround has begun, but we're about to attack that city. And when we go and attack that area, no one can escape and go and tell the other forces to try to mass together against us. We've got to do this with wisdom and we've got to do it with power. Woo, glory to God. And so Jehu's already acting like a king. He's already acting like a ruler. Come on, somebody shout, I'm anointed. I'm anointed. Verse uh, 19, I mean, verse 16. So Jehu rode in a chariot and he went toward Jezreel because Joram lay there, that king who is the son of Jezebel and Ahab. And Ahiza, uh, Ahiah, the king of Judah, was come down to see Joram. So now you have them both in the same place at one time. Listen, the timing of God is amazing. And when the move of God gets started, God knows how to cause your enemies to get out of the way real quick. Come on, somebody shout, turn around. And the scripture says in verse 17, now there stood a watch, a watchman on the tower in Jezreel, and he spied the company of Jehu as he came. And he said, I see a company. And Joram, who's the king, remember, said, and he's been wounded. He said, take a horseman and go out to meet and let him say, is this in peace? Joram doesn't want to fight because he's trying to get healed from his wounds that he had got fighting the Syrians, the Bible says, when Hazael, the king of Syria, and him had gotten into a conflict. So he's recouping. And he's at his weakest point. He's used of the devil. He kills and mocks everything that has to do with God. And his mama had Naboth killed. Naboth was a righteous man and stole his 600-year family inheritance that the children of Israel had gotten when they came into Cana. And God did not take that lightly. It might not have made a difference to anyone else, but it made a difference to Jehovah God. That one of his prophets serving God had been treated that way. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the scripture says, send somebody out, send a messenger out on horse and ask if this person has come in peace. So there went out one on horseback, verse 18. Y'all okay if we read a little tonight? There went out one on horseback to meet him. And he said, thus saith the king, have you come in peace? Is it peace? And Jehu said, I like Jehu. I like Jehu. He, he didn't have much to do or say until he got anointed. And when the anointing came on him, he was a totally different man. Suddenly he starts acting in wisdom. The leadership anointing comes on him. And the ability to serve God and to lead all of a sudden rises up. And the king said, did you come in peace in verse 18? And Jehu said, what have I to do or what have you to do with peace? You don't know anything about peace. He says this to the, the messenger. He says, you don't know anything about peace. Turn you behind me or follow me. Turn around and follow me. Turn around. Don't follow uh, Joram. Don't follow Jezebel anymore. You come out here. Jehu said, if you know what's good for you, and that anointing's on him. Yes. That anointing, that oil is on him. 
Can you imagine this guy? He's in a chariot. He's got five quarts of oil that have been poured all over him. He's in a chariot riding and he's, he, he's driving worse than they do out on 45. He's driving crazy like a holiday shopper. The scripture says he's out driving like a madman. That horse, I can see the dust flying with all the rest of the gang with him. That guy probably looked like he was coated in dirt. And here comes that man to him. And he said, did you come in peace? He said, what do you have to do with peace? You don't know anything about peace. If you know it's good for you, you'll turn around and you'll get in here and join me because we go in that direction. And the Bible says the man went, oh, okay. And he joined him. You're anointed. Come on, somebody shout, I'm anointed. When you witness for the Lord and you will not compromise who you are, but you'll just share it with that joy and the love and the power of God. It's amazing how many people are going to say yes to Jesus Christ. They're going to stop going that direction and they're going to begin to follow the Lord. They're going to follow him as you follow him. The Bible says of pastors and leaders in ministry that you are to follow me as I follow Christ. How many of you have read that in the Bible? God's instruction in the New Testament church, the apostle Paul writes, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so here we see Jehu say, uh, look, you better follow me because what you're talking about peace, there's nothing to talk about peace. We do not make peace with the devil. We do not make peace with abortions. We do not make peace with homosexuality. We do not make peace with lying, stealing, all of those things. I'm preaching real good and getting very few amens in here. No, we don't make peace with that. Not now, not ever. No, we don't hate people. We don't make peace, though, with that which is not of God. We don't make peace with drug addiction. We don't make peace with alcoholism. We don't make peace with that. We witness, we, t- we hold the position of who we are in Christ and you will be stunned at how many people are going to want to turn around and follow you as you follow Jesus. That's what that's all about. Glory to God. And the scripture says, verse 19, over the last of verse 18, you see it. And the watchman told, saying, the messenger came to him, but he cometh not again. He turned around and joined them, and he didn't come back. So this watchman, remember, is watching from that tower. What's going on as Jehu and his posse are headed that direction. Verse 19, then he sent out, so Joram the king sent out a second one on horseback, which came to them and said, thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered, what hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. Turn around. Join me. You better join the winning team, not the losing team. This thing's turning around. Come on, somebody shout, turn around. Can you see it in your own life? You've made a decision that you're going to follow the Lord. You're going to serve God. And you have this Joram thing that you're having to deal with. He's got the army, he's got the money, he's got the forces, he's got the city, he has the citadel, he has the fortress itself, he's got all of this, Joram does, and now you've got Jehu with a little band of guys coming, but every time Joram, uh, every time Jehu comes to someone, they suddenly go, "Uh, I think I'm going to follow you. I think I'm going to follow you because he wouldn't compromise. He wouldn't shut up. He wouldn't stop. He was anointed. Come on, shout, I'm anointed. Come on, shout it out loud. 
You are anointed. The glory of God is on you. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll have dreams. They'll have visions if you won't compromise it. Stay there with it. There comes a time when the turnaround starts. The scripture says in verse 19, he sent out a second messenger. When the second messenger went out, he said, you need to turn around and join me. The scripture says he did. The watchman who was up there on the wall watching all of this in the tower told King Joram uh, in verse 20, the watchman said, he came even unto them. And again, it happened. He comes not back here. And the driving, whoo, glory to God. Look at verse 20. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nemish, for he drives furiously. I'm reading King James. Some of your footnotes will say he drives like a madman. He's driving crazy. He's got those horses. And he's got those things running this direction. Look what's coming. And every time one of our people go out there, they turn and join him. And he's just getting stronger and stronger every time someone goes out there. That's exactly what the enemy will try to do. He will try to get you to compromise. He will send out every kind of attack that he possibly can. If your weakness is money, there will be a money attack. If your weakness is some kind of a sin, of uh, there will be that sin attack of some kind. Uh, the enemy will do everything he can do to get you to compromise the anointing that is on your life. But you are anointed. You're called by God. You're a chosen generation. God knew your name before the foundations of the world. And when you were in your mother's womb, he planned and purposed for you to do your part to cause his kingdom to manifest in the day that you live in. All he's looking for is someone to not compromise. He's looking for housewives. He's looking for husbands. He's looking for workers out on the plant. He's looking for a professional people. He's looking for retired people. He's even looking for preachers to not compromise who God is and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The scripture says, I'm almost done with this. Come help me up here if you would. Otherwise, I'm going to preach till the fire falls. And the watchman told him that. He said he drives furiously. One translation says he's driving crazy. And Joram the king said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. He said, get, get, get my car, get my truck, get my chariot. And the chariot was made ready. And Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah the king of Judah both went out each in his own chariot and they went out against Jehu. Everybody say against Jehu. Yes. Say it again. Yes. I don't care how much the devil offers you the olive branch. It is against you. And the against will ultimately manifest. Hell has no good position for any man or woman of God any Christian, any believer, any godly housewife, any godly husband, any man, any woman. Uh, the devil does not have a good position, but he is a liar. And these two kings go out against Jehu in their own chariots. It's like the devil tried everything 
and he can't get him to stop. He's driving furious. He's just gone right through all of the things that maybe he had dreamed about. Maybe Jehu had, had weaknesses of his own. But now the anointing, come on, say the anointing. The anointing of God is on him and he has been empowered. And now, instead of buying into whatever the compromise temptation is, he blows right through it to do the will of God. That's you. Uh, you are uh, anointed like Jehu. And instead of falling for the things that the enemy used to trip you up with, now you rise up in Jesus' name and you begin to make a difference all around. And people begin to follow the Lord as you follow Christ. You have a sphere of influence. The Bible says, I had no intention of reading all these scriptures, but I'm loving it so much I'm going to read them. Verse 21, And Jehoram said, Make my chariot ready. And he goes out to meet Jehu with the other king, the king of Judah. And he met him on the portion of Naboth the Jezreelite. He met him on that piece of property that had belonged in 1 Kings 21 to Naboth, who Jezebel and Ahab had murdered so they could steal that property up against the palace that for 600 years had been an inheritance from God. Nearly 2,000 years ago, 1,900 plus years ago, the Holy Spirit was poured out with power. It's my inheritance I refuse. The blood of the martyrs are all over the past two millennium because of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. There are people today that will die around the world because of the name of Jesus and refuse to compromise, knowing that if they would just compromise, maybe their life would be spared, but they won't do it. I don't know about you, me and my house, I want to serve the Lord. Amen. Come on, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. We do not give up our inheritance. Jesus died and wrote the will and testament. He arose from the dead and is the great judge. And he's already probated the whole will and said, here, it belongs to you today. And you have my name that you can use it with. Hallelujah. We're not going to compromise the gifts of the Holy Ghost. We're not going to compromise the message of salvation. We're not going to compromise the message of deliverance. We're not going to compromise the message of, of holiness and uprightness before God to the best of our understanding. We're going to serve the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. Come on, that's a great place right there to clap your hands and give God the praise. The scripture says, in conclusion, listen to it now. Verse 22, and it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu, when King Joram saw him that he said, is it peace, Jehu? Listen to Jehu. Jehu's up there, he's picking a fight. He's like, I'm anointed, I'm not afraid of you, I don't care what kind of army you got, it doesn't make any difference. He said, I'm going to preach the truth anyway. All it takes is one person shutting up for the devil to win. And all it takes is one person speaking up for God's will to be done. God knows how to make the rocks cry out. One time he caused a donkey to cry out. He wants his will done in our lives today. Mom and daddy, don't ever compromise the truth of the gospel of Jesus with your own family. 
You don't have to be mean about it. You just have to be resolved. No, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live for God. Oh, I know they may go out this way and vacillate around out in life for a little while, but just hang on. Today's not forever. They're going to turn around. Come on, somebody shout it. Turn around. Say it again. Say it again. I tell you, I've got members in my family. I don't want to go into the detail, but I have members in my family. Some of them are probably watching online right now that don't live here, that for years they were out in the world. They were doing things they should not have been doing. Uh, had very difficult times in their life, but they made it a sin. My mom and daddy wouldn't compromise the truth. Amen. It took a little while, but oh, hallelujah, those men became men of God and they turned around. They turned around. They, and, and now they're powerful. Not only are they my physical brothers, uh, but they're also spiritual brothers today. Amen. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord right there. That'll work for you. It'll work for me. The scripture says right here, verse 22 again, it came to pass, Jehu said, what, what do you know about peace, Joram? He answered, what peace are you talking about? As long as the whoredoms of your mama, Jezebel, and her witchcraft are so many. He said, how many of you know you start talking about somebody's mama, it's on. I mean, ain't no backing out of it there. And Jehu said, it's your mama that did it. It was Jezebel uh, and all of the witchcraft and all the whoredoms. He said, your mama's a hoe. I don't like it. She's a witch. She's been killing the prophets of God. And I will not make peace as long as she is alive. Amen. And all of her whoredoms, the scripture calls it, are in manifestation. Amen. You say, you mean a man of God said that? Is that in your Bible? Did I just read it to you verbatim? Man, Jehu had some attitude. Because one of two things is going to happen. After this, it's going to either turn around or Jehu's about to die. But oh, when you're anointed, come on, shout, I'm anointed. Now look, you don't need to be talking about anybody's mama and all that kind of stuff. This is something that God did. He's just showing a principle to, well, maybe you need to talk about somebody's mama, but, but not many of them anyway. No, obviously you don't need to do that. But this is what God did. He said, no, uh, we're not compromising. Let me, let me just draw the line in the sand. This is the way it is. We're not compromising. We're going to turn this thing around. It's going to turn around. Because I was in the secret place. And the anointing of God got on me. And it's real in me. That's what Jehu's saying. That's what you're saying. That situation that seems immovable. When you pray, you pray in the spirit, you pray in the understanding. Hallelujah. You get someone in agreement with you. Sometimes it takes more than one to break that in Jesus' name. And you make that decision. Come on, shout, turn around. And things begin to turn around. And the scripture says, verse 23, and Joram the king turned around. The enemy Instead of attacking, the enemy turned this time. The one who was in the, the, the position of power, it looked like, suddenly turned and fled. He turned his hands and fled. And he said to the other king, look, this is about to get really bad. You better get out of here. And the Bible says Jehu, 
hear this chariots going off that direction. And Jehu was anointed. And Jehu took a bow from his chariot and he drew it back. And the scripture says he let that bow go. Watch what it says. The full strength of that bow. Look how graphic this is. And it smote Jehoram. He smote him in the back between his arms. And the arrow went out at his heart. And he sunk down dead. I'm, I'm reading King James. If you read it in another version, it says, and he shot his heart out. I believe God knows how to shoot the heart out of every demonic attack against your life today. To break that thing from the spirit realm, to break it out. That poverty, that lack, that not enough, that physical thing that's trying to hurt you, that attack that's come against your marriage. Look, you're not going to get a bow and arrow and do anything, but you can take the word of God, which is like a two-edged sword, and you can use it correctly, and God will strike that thing in the spirit. It'll just knock the heart right out of that attack that's coming against you. Come on, somebody clap your hands to God this evening. And the Bible says in verse 25, Then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, Cast him in the portion of the field that belongs to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. Ooh. He said, Do you remember when we rode after Ahab years ago? He said, we had a father. Do you remember him? Elijah. God laid this burden upon him. That one day he would revenge the blood of Naboth and his family because the inheritance that had come from God was stolen and perverted. I don't have time to start talking about how nations all over this globe at one time had a move of God in them years ago and it got stolen and perverted and destruction came and they're still being destroyed many of them today because they mocked the true and living God and they've replaced it with other gods but God knows how to elevate his people at the right time come on shout hallelujah he knows how to redeem that blood that is cried out and how to cause a turnaround and a revival to begin to take place. And the scripture says, in verse 26, Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and his sons with the Lord, saith the Lord, and I will repay, requite thee in this plat, this piece of property, saith the Lord. Now, therefore, take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. I've just got to keep doing this for a moment. And uh, uh, Ahab, the king of Judah, saw it, and he fled by the way of the garden house, by Naboth's garden house. And Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And he did so at the going up to Ger, which is by uh, Ibium, and he fled to Megiddo, and there he died. And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his sepulcher with his fathers in the city of David. He was a king and they buried him there. Now in the 11th year of Joram, that's the king of Israel that just got killed, who he shot the heart out of him. That's the son of Jezebel and Ahab. I'm trying to keep you in context. And in the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab began uh, Ahaziah to reign over Judah. And when Jehu, 
that's the man of God that's anointed, was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. She's still alive. Jezebel heard, and she painted her face. And she tired her head. And she looked out a window. I mean, she put on one of those kind of dresses, you know, biblical, like, lo and behold. Look, I don't want to look at no man's plumber's crack. And I don't want to look at any woman's frontal plumber's crack. Sorry. I'm just telling you the truth on a Sunday night. What's the difference? And the scripture says, verse 27, Ahaziah saw it and fled, verse 28. His servants carried him and buried him, verse 29. Verse 30, Jehu was come to Jezreel, the man of God. And Jezebel heard of it. She painted her face. Hell had tried every type of seduction and compromise. And now it's the big one. Here's a woman who is a total witchcraft woman who is the high priestess of sexual immorality and perversion to try to seduce for Baal. Jezebel is her name. She's the daughter of Baal. And listen, this is important to get it. So she goes to the, the most, uh, probably the, the strongest tactic that could be used that she was very good at. I don't know how old she was. The Bible doesn't say. Probably wrinkled up like an old ugly thing. But she paints her face up, does all of that, gets in a window, fixes herself up, and she tries to seduce him. Maybe he had a weakness in his past for that. I don't know what the issue was. I don't know why she tried that. Maybe she decided that she would try to come off in some area of submission and, and weakness toward him, but it's a trick. It's a lie, obviously. There's been no conversion on her part. And the blood of the martyrs are crying out that she's had executed. For decades, she's had them killed. And the scripture goes on and it says, Verse 31, and when Jehu entered into the gate, she puts one of those little siren things. I'm reading King James, so it's a little bit different. She said, had Zimri peace? Who slew his master? She probably gets one of those little tones in her voice. Like, wow, are you the one? That's the great warrior killing everybody? Oh man, you're awesome. You're all of that in a bag of chips. Wow, you're amazing. And she begins to lie and try to deceive him. So all the women are closing their ears right now. All the women closing their ears. All the men, don't be stupid. First of all, you're not all of that. You never were and you never will be. You were made for one woman. There was a woman that was made for you. And you're supposed to be all of that to her. So get, get that other out of your mind or the Jezebel spirit will cause you to become weak. Whew. You sat here all this time for me to tell you that truth. 
Are you doing all right? And the scripture says, Jehu lifted up his face. This time he didn't fall for it. He was anointed. The turnaround had begun. He wasn't going to go back. He lifted up his face to the window and he said, who's on my side up there? Who's on my side? You got to remember, your voice is powerful. And every time someone came in contact with him after he was anointed, he begins to change them. He begins to change them. And they begin to follow him. He thought, it's worked up till now. Let's just see what happens this way. Who up there is on my side? She's hanging out the window, flirting with him. He's acting like she's not even there. Who up there is on my side? Who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the anointing side? Who's ready for the turnaround up there to start taking place? He begins to yell it out. And the scripture says, and there looked out, out at him two or three eunuchs. Eunuchs were men that had been castrated young as boys. Then they were trained up so they would not have a sexual drive so the king could then have them around his harem and they could do that service of just slave labor and not have to worry about all of the sexuality side of it. Listen to me. They had been weakened and perverted so they could never reproduce. All compromise does is weaken you spiritually where you cannot reproduce in the name of Jesus. And I'm not talking about natural childbirth here. I'm talking about spiritually reproducing sons and daughters in Jesus' name. Witnessing. Sharing with someone. We have not been castrated spiritually. We have the gifts of the Spirit. We have the blood of Jesus. We have the power of the Holy Ghost. We have the good Word of God. I'm preaching better than you're amening right now. That anointing belongs to you and it's on you. You just need to get in that secret place with God and realize you're anointed. You're anointed as a king and a priest unto God. The Bible says, He said, throw her down. Throw her down. Suddenly these servants that had been serving her now separate from her and join Jehu. And they threw her out the window on Naboth's property. And the scripture says, they threw her out the window. Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. Man, she busted wide open like a melon. And he rode all over her underfoot. You think God doesn't have an attitude against sin? I think God's showing you because everything about God is ultimate perfection. He is ultimate love. But He's not only Alpha, He's also Omega. He has the ultimate place in eternity for all of those who say yes to Jesus as Lord. There's also an ultimate place in eternity for those who reject the true and living God. Because everything God has is maximum. He's maximum judgment. He's maximum vengeance one day. But He's actually maximum mercy, maximum grace, maximum forgiveness for all who call upon His name. Oh, hallelujah. I said hallelujah. And the scripture says, 
Jehu just ran right over her with his chariot and trod her underfoot. Now watch what he does. And this is it now. He came inside. He sat down, ate and drank. Said, yeah, I think I'm going to take a break. So many, so many people to kill. So many things to overcome. This turnaround made me hungry. I think I'm just going to stop and eat a bite. And he just stopped. He walked inside, sat down, started eating, refreshed himself, probably washed his face, got all of the dirt off of him, probably careful not to get the anointing off of him, cleaned up, did the best he could, and he got to thinking about it. Watch what happens. So he comes inside. And then he said, after he had eaten and drank, he said, uh, I'll tell you, go see now this cursed woman and bury her. For she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they couldn't find enough of her to bury. All they found was a skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. That's exactly what God had said in 1 Kings 21. There won't be enough left to bury them when the vengeance of God takes place. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord. That was spoken by the servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of, Je of Jezebel. In the portion of Naboth of Jezreel, in his portion, one day God will get a vengeance on that. Oh my goodness. And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung, like fertilized on the face of the field, in the portion of Jezreel. So they shall not say, this is Jezebel. So they can't build an altar to Jezebel. Hell is always trying to raise up an altar to Jezebel. Let me say this in conclusion. I'm like Jesus. I do everything in threes. When 911 took place in our nation, something else happened that same day. It kind of got covered over by the news because of the trauma of what took place in New York. But somewhere outside of Dallas or Austin up in that area, dogs found a skull and hands, a woman's hands and her feet. No carcass, just the skull, the hands and the feet. Her name was Madeline Murray O'Hare. And she single-handedly stopped prayer in the schools and in public places because the churches shut up. But somebody cared enough to pray. And I don't understand why everything happens the way it does, nor, do I, nor am I required to understand all of that. But on the same day that took place up there, they found her carcass because a serial killer murdered her, put her out there, stole some coins that she had, because she was a coin collector of old coins. Stole her coins, murdered her, cut her up, left her out there. The dogs ate her. And the only thing that was left of the woman who stopped prayer publicly in America. And now for 50 years, the body of Christ has had to fight through the political system to get it back and be able to do that and thank God we have a president finally that rises up instead of making false promises, actually signs things that says, go ahead and do it. Because it is constitutional. I'm preaching better than you're amen. 
It's very important to hear that. It's extremely important to hear that. There are other things that take place. I wish I had time to tell them all. Madeline O'Hare's son became so upset at what his mother had done that he converted from atheism to Christianity, gave his life to Jesus, and has traveled around from Congress to church houses to all over, given testimony about living for God, how bad it was, and how sorry he is what took place when his mother went that direction. But today, he will do everything he can to help reverse it and turn it around. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord right now. God knows how to turn things around. God knows how to turn things around. Come on, somebody shout, turn around. I know there are people in here this evening. You want to go home. You can leave, obviously, anytime you want to and go home. But there may be some people who are fighting up against some things. And this anointing right now is in this house. I didn't speak for the last 55 minutes for no reason. I know I went over a little bit. But I'm telling you, there's anointing that turns things around. This is Walter Hallam, and I want to thank you for listening today and just receiving that good word of God that you've gotten off of this podcast. You know, bringing a podcast to you, it's free to you, but it costs to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. You can be a partner. You can help support. Uh, Men and women I found are so generous when the word of God is coming into their life. They want to help take that gospel to someone else. You can text to give today to 832-981-1601. And you can give any support, any amount, and it will be a great blessing. And it will help take the gospel of Jesus uh, to someone else. We'll go the next day and the next day. So text to give today, 832-981-1601. And I want to thank you in advance because without you and with others who support, it would be so difficult for us to get the good news of Jesus Christ into this great generation. Do your part today. Thanks for helping. I love you. I can't wait to see you on the next podcast.